Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. And welcome back. We're back. To our weekly. Yeah, we're back after um, a brief hiatus. Apologies. I had family shit to deal with. Um, and that's that's just life. Sometimes it is. You gotta put you gotta put your you know outrageous podcast career aside <laughs> and remember that you're a regular person. You know, you're not just this celebrity icon. You uh-uh. got stuff outside, and you gotta put it on pause. So, but right now we're, we've got it on play. Yeah. So welcome we back, and hopefully you also have it on play. If not something's going on you should probably call a medium because a ghost has entered your cell phone absolutely i don't know how you're hearing this um unless you've broken into my apartment which is a great fear of mine <laughs> uh and i have had very vivid dreams this past week i don't know what's going on uh someone told me because last Friday at work, it was just absolutely bonkers. Someone told me it was because they were, it was a new moon, and so shit was popping off. So I don't know if that's also. But, like, when I tell you, this past week, I have had a like, outrageous dream every single night. I'm, I mean it. And I don't normally remember my dreams. I've been having very outrageous dreams for about the past month. Very vivid, and I can remember them well. And I have no idea why. Um, maybe I'm slightly stressed. I think I'm stressed underneath the surface, but I just don't know um, that I'm stressed because, as many know, I'm getting married. So I think maybe that's it. Uh, and you know, a fever blister, which I had, that's also caused by stress. Um, but yeah, I've been having real vivid dreams, like real vivid. Yeah, Myra's, and like I'm definitely of the opinion that. Whatever sort of crazy dream you have is probably, like, your subconscious trying to deal with something. But I'm really out here asking myself, like, what am I worried about? Like, I don't don't know. know. Like, my my, my coworker's getting married. I had a nightmare about her wedding. Her wedding. Well, I keep having dreams. I get married. I keep having dreams that I decide to leave Brandon. You know, he's my fiance for y'all that don't know. I decide I'm going to get a new boyfriend, new whatever. We're done. We ain't dating no more. And then it'll be like halfway during the dream. Like the other night, I was with this new man. We was hanging out. I was laughing. We was dancing. And then all of a sudden in my mind, my mind went, oh shit, Brandon. Brandon. I'm supposed to be with Brandon. And then I ran and found him. It's like I leave him and then I'm in this new life and I hate it. And then I want to go back to him. Uh, so maybe that's just my mind being like, yeah, you are supposed to marry him. So maybe that's part of it. But uh, it's a very weird feeling. Well, I would hope that's what your dreams are telling you as, you know, we're coming down to the wire on your <laughs> wedding. Just a few short months. And you've been dating the man for, you know, five ever. So yeah. I would hope, you know, you weren't wasting anybody's time. Certainly not mine as I have been planning your bachelorette weekend in depth uh so don't waste my time okay i won't i guess if you don't i guess if you don't get married it's just gonna be a girl's weekend okay hey i'm down uh but uh if you're curious as to what you're doing here this is a podcast called this is gonna sound weird 
Yes, it is. And each week we uh, tackle a different topic about all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, Sydney. And I'm your other host, Taylor. And this week, our theme is celebrity deaths. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. Could be be a murder. Mm -hmm. Could be not a murder. All we know is they were alive. They are no longer. And we're about to tell you how it happened. This is correct. Um, I did want to say one thing. This is very unrelated. But I I made my own laundry detergent a few weeks ago. And I'll have y'all know, if you've never tried, well, I guess it's not detergent because it's a powder. But it is working very well. And it's very cheap compared to the regular old laundry detergent. Uh, it's a bar of Fels naphtha, some borax. Yes. And some of the, it's like OxyClean or some like baking soda, super washing. It's like all right there together. You like put a cup of one, a cup of the two powders and then you get a whole bar of Fels naphtha. You kind of put it in a blender or whatever you got and just blend it all up. You got to, you got to shred the Fels naphtha though. You can't throw the whole last bar in there. That's not going to work. Uh, and then I've just been keeping it in the... In a little container, and it smell good, and it's cheaper, and it makes me feel like I'm, I don't know, living on a homestead. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I have, I actually know about that recipe. I had an old boss who used to make it that same way, but I was literally, that is so weird that you say that, because I was just thinking about that today. I was what? washing my comforter, <laughs> and I, and I use Fell's naphtha uh to get like stains and stuff out but i have a white comforter so sometimes what i like to do is i like to take the fills nap then i like to take a cheese grater and grate it into the washing machine just because i think it helps like brighten up the whites uh, and for those of you who don't know what Fels naphtha is, it is a godsend it is in the laundry detergent aisle it's like a bar of soap it's maybe 99 cents it is yeah. so cheap uh, but it, it is a miracle worker when it comes to getting stains out. But I was thinking about that because I was washing my clothes and I was shredding that. Fells naps and I was thinking, man, I should make my own laundry detergent. I should look up that recipe. So that is so weird that you said that. That is very weird because I've been thinking about it all day. For some reason, I was like, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. Why? I have no idea. It's not that exciting, <laughs> but I wanted to mention it. Well, I think, I think it was probably because our minds are connected we'll be reading each other's minds yeah well now you need to go make you some uh so yeah uh, maybe i will i'll update y'all if i do i currently have a huge box of tide pods i have to go through so it'll oh, probably yeah. be whenever whenever i'm done with that yeah yeah uh but anyways back to our regularly scheduled programming i go first this week so yes please uh-huh. Tell us about a celebrity that died. So Anyone that you choose. Okay. So my celebrity is Sam Cooke. You ever heard of him? You probably have. He's a singer. I think so, yeah. He's an old-timey singer. Yes. God. He has the voice of an angel. He did have the voice of an angel. Mm-hmm. So, these are my sources. Biography.com. The Sam Cooke page. History.com. An article uh, by the History.com editors. And then Wikipedia.com, the Sam Cooke page. So, Sam Cooke was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And he was born as Samuel Cooke. Uh, and that's Cooke with no E. 
but later in his life, he decided to go by Sam Cooke, Cooke with an E. He added the E to the end of his name uh, in 1957 to signify the start in his new life. Really changes it up when you add an E to the end of he it. Went, he went from cook to cookie. Uh, fun fact about my family. So my mother's maiden name is Green. And all of that side of the family, their last name is Green. Uh, none of them actually know if you're supposed to spell it with an E. Like G-R-E-E-N-E or just G-R-E-E-N. So half the family has an E. Half the family don't have an E. But nobody knows how it's actually supposed to be spelled. Uh, so I don't know. I think it looks better with the E, personally. The extra E. Now. Yeah, I think it adds a little bit of spice. Mm-hmm. So, Sam was the fifth of eight children of Reverend Charles Cook, a Church of Christ minister, and Annie May Cook. So, soon after Sam was born, his family moved to Chicago in 1933, and while living in Chicago, he attended Doolittle Elementary. And when he was just six years old, he began singing with his siblings in a group called the Singing Children, or if you're not from the South, the Singing Children. Creative. Yes. Uh, and he continued his singing career into his teens, and he became the lead singer with the Highway QCs, which was an American gospel quintet that he helped form when he was just 14 years old. But, yeah. Okay, it looked like Sydney had a comment, but she didn't. She just opened her mouth and leaned forward. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is exactly. uh, You know, I'll go be honest with you. I was kind of looking at my story, and I was practicing how to say this lady's last name. (laughs) But I'm going to be honest. I don't know why I'm rehearsing, because you've just started yours. I think it's because we got on the topic of cook, cookie, uh, and I was like, how the hell you pronounce this lady's name? Hmm. Um, I'm going to butcher it, so. That's okay. I shouldn't even bother. That's okay. Uh, so, Sam was singing in a quartet. No, a quintet. Uh, but his biggest inspiration was a gospel group called the Soul Stirs. And soon after high school, his dream came true. Because in 1950, Cook went to sing with the Soul Stirs. Uh, who, like I said, was another gospel group, and he replaced the group's lead singer, R.H. Harris. Uh, This group was founded by Harris himself, and Harris had actually signed a record deal for the group with Specialty Records right when Sam joined um, as the lead singer. And the first song that the group recorded was Jesus Gave Me Water. Um, This was recorded in 1951 when Sam was just 20 years old. And after this, the group continued to record. Um, I feel like my grandpa had a lot of records back in, like, so I got a record player, like one of those modern ones. And I was like, oh, let me look through all my grandpa's records. Pretty much every single one of them, except for the one Johnny Cash album I took, were all old gospel records. So I guess there was a big market for it back in the day. Absolutely. But they were very holy back then, and the country has gone to hell ever since. You're right. So right. Bunch of of heathens now. Heathens. Um, So, Cook is actually credited, though, for bringing gospel music to the attention of the young folks back in the day. Apparently, he was a hottie, and when he would be singing on stage with the soul stirrers, girls would rush the stage just to get a look at him. Um, An interesting conduct for a gospel concert, I would assume, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe gospel used to be different back in the day. A little cooler than it is now. 
But Sam didn't stick with this gospel music forever. Later in the 50s, he started to transition more into the soul and R&B, which people, you know, mostly know him for now. Um, and sometimes he's actually called the father of soul music. So he reached the top of the charts in 1957 with a song called You Send Me. And then following that, he had numerous other R&B hits, including Wonderful World and A Change Is Gonna Come. And I'm sure a lot of y'all have heard at least one of these songs. Because they just... They're all bangers. Yeah, they are. Good songs. Now... I'm pretty sure... So, I have a Spotify playlist, which I've entitled Songs That Make Me Believe in Love. And I'm pretty sure at least two of those songs are on it. Yep. Brandon has a playlist he simply has called Old, which is just a bunch of old music. Like old... Mostly beach music, but songs like this too. And I'm pretty sure they're all on there. Um, if not, I will f- certainly add. Uh, even though I'm not sure how I feel about Mr. Cook after this story. And you you can make your own opinion when we get done. Oh. Oh no, she gonna ruin it for us. We're gonna stop here. It's, uh, I don't know. You, you can let me know what we think at the end. Uh, so, Sam was a great singer. And he was also a smart businessman uh, when it came to managing his career. He actually created his own publishing company for his music in 1959, and he negotiated a pretty impressive contract with RCA in 1960. So, basically, he's a very successful singer, songwriter, and just straight-up successful person. Uh, He accomplished, and he accomplished pretty much all of this that I've talked about by the age of 30 years old, which, uh, good on you. Because I don't think I will have accomplished even close to that by the time I'm 30. I will hopefully have graduated law school and have a job or something. I don't know. You got a few years. You might be able to You might be able to do it. You think? It's going to take a little bit more work. Okay. You're not working hard enough. Just law school? Yeah. Think bigger. Yeah. I'd rather not. But all good things have to come to an end. And on December 11th, 1964... Things took a turn for the worse for Sam. So, the night before December 11th, Sam had been out drinking in Los Angeles, where it was said that he met a woman named Elisa Boyer. The pair had apparently hit it off, and they ended up going to the Hacienda Motel. And while at this hotel, Sam and Elisa had an altercation. And following this altercation... Sam went to the hotel uh, manager's office, and the manager of the hotel, her name was Bertha Franklin, and Bertha said that when Sam got to the door, he was yelling and banging on it, saying, where's the girl? Um, And he was apparently looking for Elisa. So Bertha yelled back at him that there was nobody in her office except for her, but Sam was very angry and burst into her office. I'm going to start saying Cook instead of Sam. For some reason, saying Sam is reminding me of a person I know, and I'm not really sure who. Anyways. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I'll allow it. So, when he got into the office, uh, Bertha saw that Cook was only wearing one single shoe and a sport jacket and nothing else. So, he was naked except for one shoe and a sport jacket. Uh, he grabbed Bertha at this point and demanded that she tell him where Elisa is. Um, and at that point, according to Bertha, the two began to grapple with one another and they fell to the floor. And when they fell, Bertha got up and went to get a gun. 
She fired the gun at Cook and what she said was self-defense because she was scared that Cook was going to hurt or kill her. She shot him one time in the torso and after she shot him, she said that he said, quote, lady, you shot me in a very confused voice. And then she said he got up and started coming at her again. And at this point, Bertha got a broomstick and hit Cook over the head with it, which made him fall to the ground. And at that point, he died. So he got shot and then he got hit over the head with a broomstick and died. So, the questions? Nope. Concerns? Observations? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm concerned. Okay. Um, I am concerned, but go on. Now, it's not quite clear when exactly during the incident Bertha did this. I think it was at the beginning, but Bertha had called the motel's man no, the motel's owner, Evelyn Carr. And Carr um, was on the phone while the altercation was going on, and she actually heard Cook force himself into Bertha's office, and then she heard the ensuing altercation, and after she heard the gunshot, she called the police. So, I guess she was probably probably at home or something. She was the owner of the motel, and it was late at night. Um, so, she called the police, and the police ended up going to the motel to see what was going on. So, after the police got to the scene, a coroner's inquest was convened to figure out what in the heck went on. Um, but they said to investigate the incident. So... When the investigation began, the police talked to Elisa, which was the woman that Sam had gone to the hotel with, and she told them that she had met Cook that night at a restaurant or at a nightclub, and she had requested that he take her home. But he was very intoxicated, and instead of taking her home, he drove her to the motel because he wanted to have sex with her. Elisa said that when they got to the motel, it seemed that Cook was familiar with the motel, making her think that he had been there before. Um, partially, she said he knew the layout of the motel, and he had driven past, I guess, a few other motels on the way. So maybe, to me, that kind of made it seem like she was trying to say maybe he had done this before. Like, maybe he takes people to this motel to, I don't know, for a little one-night stand action. So, mm-hmm. once in the room, Elisa said that Cook forced her onto the bed and stripped off her underwear And at this point, she thought he was going to rape her. But before that happened, Elisa asked to use the bathroom and Cook let her go to the bathroom. And she tried to escape from the bathroom window, but it was locked. So she had to go back into the room where she said Cook had kept molesting her. But luckily, uh, Cook decided he was going to go to the bathroom. And so when he went to the bathroom, Elisa was able to escape. And when she left, she scooped up her clothing. And when she scooped up her clothes, she accidentally also scooped up most of Cook's clothing in the process. Which makes sense as to why when he ran to the hotel office, he had on no clothes. But, I don't know. The question, the thing that I have, maybe you put on a sports coat, but why, why only one shoe? Why would you only put on one shoe? Did she take one of the shoes, you think? Yeah, but at that point, why put why put on any shoes? You already got your everything else hanging out. You know. That's probably true. That's right. I mean, I could understand maybe putting I mean, on maybe. a coat. But I, if I was him, I probably would have wrapped a coat around my waist, you know, and put... I, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. She said he was I wouldn't drunk. have prioritized a shoe. No. But uh, once Elisa had gotten out of the room, 
she went first to the manager's office, so to Bertha's office, and uh, she knocked on the door, but Bertha was taking too long to come to the door, so Elisa ended up running to the nearest phone booth to call the police. And at this point, she had put her own clothes back on and she hid Cook's clothes like in the bushes or something. Now, Elisa's account of what happened that night is really the only one that we have and there's no way to know if that actually happened because Cook is dead. So, this is kind of why it's a little confusing. Um, And the reason, I guess, I mean, for me, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I believe her. He He was being an asshole. But the story has been called into question since it was reported. First off, some people saw the pair at the restaurant before going to the motel, and they claim that there's some inconsistencies with Elisa's version of the story uh, regarding the two's interaction at the restaurant. Some say that what they saw happen was that Elisa went to the motel with Cook willingly and that she did not flee after an attempted rape by Cook, but rather robbed him and then fled with his belongings, which like, I don't really know if I believe that or if that really matters because maybe she did go with him willingly, but when she got to the motel, uh, maybe she didn't want to have sex with him and at that point he got mad at her, in which case whatever happened at the restaurant doesn't matter because she didn't want to have sex with him then that's her right, if she could go. Obviously. And also, they said that they didn't think that she had robbed him because they checked her purse um, and searched it, like, that night, and all they found was a $20 bill. So, didn't seem like enough money to be robbing over. But not only has Elisa's story been questioned, Bertha's story has also been questioned. Um, like, the way that the whole shooting went down... Some of Cook's family and supporters think that all the accounts of that night are untrue, and they think that three people conspired to murder Cook, so they think that Elisa, Bertha, and the hotel's owner all conspired to murder him. I, but the thing is, I never saw any motive for why. Like, there was never anything where it's like, they did this because blank. Maybe I just didn't see that in my research. Um, yeah, but it, it seems odd that these three random people would be like, hey, do you want to kill this, you know, famous s- singer? Yeah, and maybe, like, if maybe if he did have a huge sum of money on him and then all of a sudden it disappeared and, so, you know, whatever happened afterwards. But it didn't seem like there was any, like, robbery that took place. Um Mm-hmm. And then some even say that Cook's manager, who was named Alan Klein, had a role in the murder. So it was just, they were just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks at this point. Now, it does get kind of interesting. So one of the doubters um, was Cook's close friend, Muhammad Ali. And he said that, quote, if Cook had been Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, or Ricky Nelson, the FBI would be investigating. Which, like, I get that because Cook was, you know, a black man and he probably wasn't investigated like maybe another famous person would have been at the time. I mean, there was a coroner's inquest and so I do get that, but it's hard to go both ways. I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want the emails coming in because we get so many emails. (laughs) Listen. It's also, it's hard because, like, you're like, oh, he's a famous person. 
we should be, you know, be prioritizing investigating his murder. But at the same time, I'm like, you can't, you can't say that, oh, we're going to put all these extra, like, resources into this one investigation over, you know, maybe a normal person who got murdered. And it's also hard because if what Elisa is saying is true, then probably the rest of it's true and, you know, we want to believe her and all women when they say that, you know, something horrible like Mm -hmm. that's happened to them. So it's hard. And it was the 50s, so I don't know. It's a lot. Or the 60s. I don't know. One of the two. I think it was the 60s. We we already know if it was the 70s or before, you could get away with murder, you know, even if a cop witnessed it. So Oh, yeah. But this was an interesting part. So Etta James went to the funeral and viewed Cook's body. I guess he had an open casket, um, which is interesting because... So she questioned the accuracy of the official version of events because she said that his injuries were far past simply just fighting off one person before his death. So she said that when she saw his body, the state that it was in, it was not consistent with just, you know, having a fight with one woman and then being shot and bonked over the head. She said that she had wrote, um, like, in a, I don't know if she wrote it in a diary or somewhere, but Etta James had written after she saw the body that he had seemingly been beaten so bad that his head was nearly separated from his shoulders, his hands were broken and crushed, and his nose was mangled. So, like, I don't know how to reconcile that. I don't know if anybody confirmed how, you know, how the injuries came about exactly. I mean, I know he had the altercation, but it, it didn't seem like it was a knockout drag out. It seemed like you know, they kind of tussled. She grabbed a gun, shot him, and then hit him over the head. Like, a busted nose. I can see that. Uh, the head nearly separated from his shoulders and broken hands. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's, which, to me, it seems odd if he did have that intense of a, like, you know, like, appearance, I guess. If he looked that fucking rough, yeah, why would they have had an open cast? That's what you I don't I mean? understand. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. Now, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to question Miss Etta James because I don't know why she would lie. Uh, but I don't know why they have an open casket. Um, I think open caskets are a little weird, no matter how you slice it. But uh, especially if you don't you put it back together. <laughs> if you don't put it back together, it's extra weird. The weirdest, I saw it, an article today, where this rapper died. This is, like, recently. Like, I saw the article this morning. He died. And they had a funeral for him in a nightclub in D.C. Mm -hmm. And they just propped his corpse up in the corner. Like, standing up. Oh, no. Almost like he was partying with the, the people mourning his loss. I'm gonna have to send it to you because it <laughs> is wild. Oh, I don't know if he if he perhaps requested that. I feel like he had um, to have right. Nobody's just gonna do that just because because that had to be expensive. Hey. I don't know. It's crazy though, and it's like you know he, he's embalmed, 
then they've dressed him up. Oh no! So how do they how do they prop him up? Is he just like super stiff? I don't. I don't know. know. I don't know what happens to your body it when it's embalmed. I would assume it's actually it probably seems... pretty stiff. I would assume so as well. But yeah, pretty weird. I would have to say. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look at that. Uh, so I don't know, but. In the end, all of the doubt and speculation surrounding his death was not substantiated. The coroner's jury, after the inquest, accepted Bertha's version of the story um, as Carr, who was the owner. Uh, her testimony corroborated Bertha's story. Uh, and both Elisa and Bertha passed polygraphs. And so the jury returned a verdict of justifiable homicide um, on the part of Bertha. So they basically, it's basically, they agreed that it was self-defense. And after this, the case of Cook's death was officially closed. So, which obviously polygraphs these days aren't fully, you know, they're not even admissible in court and all that. But like I said, this was 60, so this is what they went with. Um, following Cook's death, he had two funerals, one in Chicago and one in L.A., and he was buried in the Garden of Honor at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Lots of fans and friends attended both funerals to pay their respects to Cook. Um, but following Cook's death, uh, things were not going so well for Bertha. Uh, she actually would had to resign from her position at the Hacienda Motel and like leave town, it seems like, because she was getting so many death threats. Um... Which I'm like, okay, if you're going to murder him for some sort of gain, she clearly didn't get anything out of this, except for she lost her job or had to give up her job and leave. So I just don't think that a conspiracy to kill him makes sense, but I don't know. Um, so his death to this day seems sort of a mystery to a lot of people, um, especially to his friends, his family, and his supporters. But his legacy has lasted, um, and honestly, most people probably don't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about this until I heard it briefly mentioned on a podcast one time. Um, but most people just know him, you know, for his music. And after he died, he actually got some awards and achievements. One, which was being inducted as a charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986 and receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1999. And that is the somewhat mysterious death of Sam Cooke. Wow. I had never heard that before. I love Sam Cooke. Um, I do love his music. I'm a little... I'm not going to lie. I'm probably still going to listen to it. Um, because the songs do bang. Yeah. And I'm sorry to say that. And also... It robs. Also, the story is just like, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. It could be also a little bit of a mixture of everything. Because Elisa, while she could be mostly telling the truth, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single thing she said was correct. It doesn't mean that everything everybody said was correct. And obviously, Sam, Sam wasn't there to say what he thought happened. Uh, so it's really a he... Actually, it's not even he said, she said. It's just a she said and I, they believed it. Which, it could be very true. I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know him. Get off my back. Jeez. <laughs> answer the question do you think it's real yes or no what do you believe yeah i don't know i just thought it was interesting um now i'm curious as to what other uh artists celebrities have died in mysterious ways that i don't know about but i consume their music or 
media. I would assume a lot of, you know, I think quite a few celebrities die in mysterious ways. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I feel like a lot of them do die in weird ways because uh, they live different lives from the rest of us. Also, I think, like, particularly deaths from a while ago are even more mysterious just because we weren't able to investigate it the way we do now. Like, my story, as you will see, also from a, a little bit of a time ago. And, you know, we're just now getting to the bottom of some of that. But my story this week is on the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. Okay. I think I've heard heard of her. Yeah. I I think I've heard the story before, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm I'm Luckily, I'm going to retell it to you. Okay. So, maybe Thanks. it'll spark something. Thanks. Uh, my sources this week were LA Times, allthat'sinteresting.com, and of course, our fateful Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So. I'm actually donating to Wikipedia Natal- these days. Wow. Thank you. For, uh, you know, all we do is ask for a dollar. That's the least we can do. I know. I know. Throw them a dollar. But, Natalie Zakarnik. Sicarno, I believe is how you pronounce it. I don't know. I already told y'all earlier in the episode I was going to butcher it. Uh, she was born in San Francisco, California on July 20th, 1938. In 1942, her parents bought a house in Santa Rosa, which is where Natalie was noticed by members of a film crew. Natalie's mother, Maria, was eager to make Natalie the breadwinner for the family and pushed her to audition for roles despite her young age. Natalie's mother knew that her daughter would become a success as it was foretold to her by a fortune teller. When Maria was a child, a gypsy told her that her second child would be a great beauty and famous and that she should, quote, beware of dark waters. Yeah, I have heard this so, one. Yes. Spooky. It, it's an it's a oldie but a goodie. So, Natalie began acting and soon executive producers at RKO Radio Pictures changed her last name to Wood in reference to director Sam Wood. Natalie quickly grew into professional, memorizing not only her lines, but everyone else's. Though she worked with, dubbed her One Take Natalie. And her career became pretty successful. She earned roles in films such as Miracle on 34th Street, A Rebel Without a Cause, which earned her an Academy Award nomination when she was just a teenager, as well as the role of Maria in the musical film West Side Story. Mm. Which, side note, uh, they... You know, they just came out with a remake of West Side Story. And my co-worker went to high school with one of the actresses of the, who's in the remake. And because, of, like, the other day she's like, oh, my gosh, this girl, you know, went to the Oscars. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like, did she just get to go? Oh, yeah. she, she went to contest. Goes, oh, my. Yeah. And then my co-worker goes, oh, my God, she won an Oscar. This girl she went to high school with literally 
won an Oscar. What? What? Where did she go to high school? Is she from California? Um, no, she's from somewhere here in, you know, the Triangle area. I think. So. But, yeah. Kind of funny. Small world. Uh, yeah, for real. But while her professional life was flourishing, her love life was rocky. Wood had alleged affairs with director Nicholas Ray and co-star Dennis Hopper. And I say alleged because, like, in the articles I read, it said affairs. But, like, what do you mean by affairs? Like, did they date? Or were these people, like, married yeah. and she had relations with them? Like, so, I, I don't know. And I feel like a lot of the articles kind of, like... They kind of paint this idea that maybe Natalie was a bit easy, but, like, what does that have to do with literally anything? It don't. It don't have nothing to do with nothing. But, funnily enough, she ended up dating Elvis Presley before meeting Robert Wagner when she was 18 years old. Natalie and Robert married in 1957, but would end up divorcing just five years later. And Natalie would go on to marry British producer Richard Grigson in 1969. The two had their daughter Natasha together. However, they ended up divorcing in 1971. After her divorce, Natalie returned to her first husband, Robert, and the two remarried on July 16, 1972. And together, they had their daughter, Courtney, in 1974. So... Despite rekindling their love, rumors of their relationship becoming rocky began to surface, and there were rumors that Natalie had begun dating one of her co-stars, Christopher Walken. Okay. Which I... I... So when I heard the retelling of this story, they were talking about Christopher Walken, and I was like, I know that name. And, but they were like, he used to be so hot back in the day. He was so hot. And then, obviously, I looked him up, and I was like, okay, I know who he is now. I don't really think he was that hot back in the day. No. I don't see not. it. No. I don't see it. Um, he's got kind of like a nerdy vibe to him. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he's obviously, I, mean, I don't think he's hot now, but he's also not like a heartthrob. I mean, I like him. He's, you know, I like the movies he's in. What's he's in a lot of Adam Sandler movies, ain't he? He's at least in one. What's yeah, that? He, is he, he in Click? He's been he. Uh, I can't remember if he's in Click. I'm pretty sure he's in. Um, no. I'm. You know who I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of somebody else. You're thinking of Steve Buscemi. I'm thinking of Steve <laughs> Buscemi because Steve. <laughs> they look so similar. <laughs> yeah. Because Steve Buscemi is in a lot of Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. He plays Crazy Eyes in Mr. Deeds. Okay. Christopher Walken is, he's in a lot of other movies. Please don't give me crap for this. The only movie I can think of off the top of my head that he is in, that I know it is him and not Steve Buscemi, is he is in, he is in the remake of Hairspray. Yes, yes, and He plays yes, yes. Tracy, he he plays Tracy Turnblad's dad, yes. and he's married to John Travolta in that movie. Okay, he's also in Click. So we were both, you know, we were both right. Honestly, that's probably the only two movies I really watched him in. I mean, I, I know who he is. But yeah, him and Steve Buscemi, I'm not going to lie, I get them confused too. They look very similar, and, you know, 
I'm not going to argue it. They look like they could maybe be brothers. Uh, but Steve Buscemi is just a little bit more goofy, yeah. I would say. Like, he's in uh, Spy Kids 2. Yeah. But. But, I, yeah, I mean, he's kind of cute when he was younger. Christopher Walken, not Steve Buscemi. I don't know. I'm looking at pictures now, and people say that he looks just like Scarlett Johansson, which, like, he kind of does. But also, I don't know. It just ain't, it just ain't my vibe. If you look him up, <laughs> there'll be so many pictures of him beside pictures of Scarlett Johansson. What is this supposed to be like? I is don't it supposed know. to be like a conspiracy theory? Do people think that's her dad? I don't know. I haven't looked that far into it. Maybe that'll be a whole nother episode. Is Steve Buscemi <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's dad? Uh, is... Yeah, you know how like people have that theory that um, Jean Benet Ramsey is, is now Perry. like Katy Perry. Yes. <laughs> I, I heard that on a podcast the other day. I was like, I'd actually never even heard that. And they don't look that much alike. I don't get it. No. But if if that is the case, you know, I think Jean Benet been doing pretty good for herself. Yeah. Anyways. But, I don't know. Anyways. Thanksgiving weekend in 1981, Robert and Natalie invited Christopher Walken on their sailing trip around Catalina Island. The next day, Natalie's body was found floating just a mile from the ship. She was wearing a flannel nightgown, down jacket, and socks. Now, it was a known fact that Natalie couldn't swim, and she, along with the other passengers, had been drinking. So, because of this, her death was quickly classified as an accident. People just mm-hmm. assumed, you know, maybe she'd been drinking and just fallen overboard and then drowned because she couldn't swim. However, as more information became available, authorities began to question whether or not Natalie's death had been an accident after all. Mm. Hours before her death, the three actors had had dinner at Doug's Harbor Reef restaurant in Two Harbors and had returned to the yacht. Once back on the boat, the three drank and an argument broke out between Walken and Wagner. The story was that Natalie had gone to bed first, and when Robert later came down to join her, both her and the dinghy were gone. Mm. An autopsy was performed and showed that Natalie had multiple bruises on her arm and an abrasion on her left cheek. However, these were categorized as superficial and probably sustained at the time of drowning. The autopsy also found that Wood's blood content or excuse me, blood alcohol content, was 0.14%, and that there were traces of motion sickness pills and painkillers in her bloodstream, both of which increased the effects of alcohol. An analysis of her stomach contents placed Natalie's death around midnight, and Wagner had reportedly placed a radio call to report her missing at 1.30. Mm-hmm. Roger Smith who was the boat captain who helped pull Natalie's body from the water, said he did not receive a call to look for her until after 5 a.m. Natalie's sister, Lana, explained, excuse me, expressed doubts, alleging that Natalie could not swim and would have been terrified of the water. Mm-hmm. So she had been terrified her whole life, and so there was no way that she would have just left the boat and gone on a, dig- a dinghy all by herself. I'm, there just was no way. No, I'm not terrified of water, and uh, there's absolutely no way I would do that. If you've ever been out on a boat in the middle of the nighttime, 
in like the middle of the ocean or somewhere, it is completely pitch black darkness. You can see nothing. No person is going to just go out on a little dinghy boat just because. It's just not happening. No. No, I was thinking about that when we went on our cruise a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I would get out there on it. I was like, I, I was terrified. And I'm not I, I'm not afraid of the water. I grew up at the beach. I know how to swim. But I was terrified of falling off. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't get to the edge. I wouldn't go to the edge. It, it's so dark out there. So, no. No, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no. But despite this, Natalie's cause of death remained as you know, quote, an accident until 2001 mm-hmm. when Captain Dennis Davern, who had been on the boat that night that Natalie died, admitted that he left out key details regarding what had happened mm-hmm. the night that Natalie died. Davern recalled that an argument had started the day before the Natalie's death, that is, and that tension only grew worse throughout the weekend. He explained that Wagner was jealous of Walken and that Natalie and Christopher had spent hours at a bar in Catalina Island before Wagner even showed up for their weekend trip. And when he arrived, you know, he was pissed because they had been drinking and carrying on by themselves. They then had dinner, and the reports were unclear, but who threw what? But all we know is that a glass, a wine glass, was thrown across the room and against the wall at some point during dinner Mm. so tensions were high and around 10 they boarded the dinghy and headed back to the ship once on board everyone continued to drink and wagner grew angry screaming at walken and what he asked was are you trying to fuck my wife oh so really um a good question to kill the vibes of an evening oh yeah that killed the vibes immediately from there, Davern said Walken went to his cabin for the rest of the night, but Robert and Natalie headed to their room where a shouting match ensued. Ooh. Davern said he later heard the fight come back onto the deck before, quote, everything went silent. Now, when Davern went to go check on them, he only found Robert, who said, quote, Natalie is missing. Dever knew Natalie was deathly afraid of water and doubted she had taken the dinghy alone, mm-hmm. as that was also missing. He explained that Wagner didn't want to turn on the boat's floodlights nor call for help because he, quote, didn't want to draw any attention to the situation. Two witnesses on a boat that was about 80 feet away that night, told sheriff investigators that they heard a woman screaming for help around 11 p.m. But they called the harbor master because, you know, they're thinking, oh, my God, someone needs some help. But they received no response. And they knew that the boat that was a ways had been partying and carry on, so maybe they thought, you know, mm-hmm. this might have been just a joke. And so they went about with their life. Robert eventually called for help at 1.30 that morning. Then, in 2013, county coroner's officials changed Natalie's cause of death from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. Mm -hmm. This change also included a statement that is, quote, 
not clearly established how Natalie ended up in the water and that Natalie might have sustained some of these bruises on her body before she went into the water. But this could not be definitively determined. Mm. Obviously, because it's 2013 and she died in the 70s. So this is all speculation. Now, in 2018, a spokesperson for the Los Angeles Sheriff's confirmed that Natalie's case was undeniably suspicious. And he stated that Robert Wagner was officially named a person of interest. And I guess, I guess maybe they, because he's a person of interest, but they don't have any, like, hardcore evidence, they can't mm-hmm. question him. Like, if he wants to talk to them, he can, but since they don't have, like, a warrant or anything, they don't have any reason to actually arrest him, he doesn't have to talk to investigators mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to. So, even though, like, I think he's guilty. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I think he's, he... He probably hit her over the head and then pushed her overboard or something. But, you know, that's all speculation. We don't have anything hardcore. As I imagine, it was the 70s. They probably did a really shitty job of collecting evidence, as they do. Uh, But, yeah, they have no reason to actually arrest him. So, is he still alive? Until they get anything. Um,. I didn't actually look that up, but as of 2018, he was alive. Uh, He was old. He was like 89 years old. Okay. Okay. Which I guess, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess he would still, for some reason I'm thinking they're so old because I feel like he's so long ago, but I know Christopher Walken's probably still alive, so I guess, yeah, it's crazy. Is Christopher Walken 89 years old? No, but he's still alive. I mean, I assume they were around the same age. He's got to be old. That's what I'm like, you know. Maybe. Although Natalie, it seems, was pretty young compared to Robert Wagner. So, maybe Christopher was more her age. It says that Christopher Walken is now 79 years old. Okay. All right. You know, Steve Martin is 76 years old. What? And he is in a movie. He is in the TV show... Only murders in the building. And I was just thinking the other day, I was watching it, and I was like, man, he is in great health. Like, he he looks so good. And then you see, like, everybody else's grandparents just walking around <laughs> all, all, all old and hunched over. Also, the, according to the interwebs, it says that Robert Wagner is still alive and that uh, he's 92. Wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> So. Unless you murdered your wife, in which case, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm still alive. That's but. wild. Yeah. But Christopher Walken, he really hasn't spoken much about the case, which, I mean, I don't know. I could see him not wanting to talk about it, but, like, mm-hmm. it's also wild that you were on the boat that same night. Yeah. But... The only instance where he has spoken about the case was in an interview in 1997 where he said, quote, Anybody there saw the logistics of the boat the night where we were, that it was raining, and you know exactly what happened. You know, so you hear about things happening to people. They slip in the bathtub, fall down the stairs, 
step off the curb in London because they think that the cars come the other way and they die. Which that's odd. To me, it, it to me to me it makes it sound like you know he's more thinking. You know, I think it was just an accident, but. I don't know. Does Christopher Walken know more than he's telling us? I feel like... Maybe. Probably. All I'm saying is, Christopher, you're getting on up there. You're getting up in age. If you know something, you might as well go ahead and tell it. Clear your conscience so that when you, so when you, you know, die, maybe you can enter the, po- the pearly gates. Because, you know, well, you might get up there. They might say, hey. Get out. Did you lie? Shoot. Did you lie about Natalie's death? No, they might. They might send you down that stripper pole. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's what I was gonna say. That stripper pole to hell. Well, so they're both think, still alive. Think so about that. There's still a possibility for a deathbed confession from either yep. or. Go ahead, let us let us know. But as of today, Natalie's case remains open and. I guess unsolved because they they really haven't said like yes we think it is murder mm-hmm. we haven't they haven't classified it as a murder they classified it as a drowning under suspicious circumstances so hmm. yeah but that is the story of Natalie Wood and her untimely death now. That, I have heard that story, and it's very interesting, uh, especially at the part that, you know, she was so scared of water, and the tarot reader said, beware of what the dark waters, but it's extra interesting, because on Sunday, or no, Monday, I listened to the Rotten Mango podcast, um, which is hosted by Stephanie Sue. if you don't listen to it, you should, it's really good, but she covered a story on Sunday of a very recent case about a um I think she's an actress in Thailand who her name's I don't know if it's Tongmo or Tangmo but I think it's Tongmo Nita she mysteriously fell off of the back of a speedboat and died mm. supposedly by drowning in February and it is under very mysterious circumstances, and so on the Rotten Mango podcast, they said they're trying to get some traction on this case because the story just absolutely does not make sense. Like, the basic gist of it was that the people on the boat with her, they were on, it was a speedboat, and they said that she said she had to pee, so she decided to pee off the side of the boat while it was still moving, and that somehow she slipped and fell mid-pee and died. Um... But it's very suspicious, so if y'all are interested, go listen to that uh, episode, and maybe there could get some more traction out there, because it was very weird. The whole thing was very weird um, about what's going on. And a lot of it, they said a lot of the sources are in Thai, uh, but Stephanie Sue on the podcast said that she got a lot of the sources translated to English, uh, like professionally translated, so she could get the full story. So that's probably the best place to go if you're interested. What's up with that? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Why would someone 
unless they're a guy, try to pee off the boat. Yeah, and that was like half of what Especially she was saying. Especially a speedboat. That's what she was saying. She was like, I don't know if any woman or any person that like squats or sits to pee who would be willing to squat over the side of a speedboat. Like, if I had to pee that bad, I'd just pee my pants. And she was in a bathing suit, so like, too, it'll soak it up a little bit. But I'm not squatting off the side of the boat. I'll just pee my pants and deal with it later. Or pee in a cup, you know. I'm sure you probably yeah. got a cup. The or first a can option or is not to sling yourself over the side of a speedboat and pee. That's just no. not. No. Anyways. Pants. But I don't buy it. I hope they get to the bottom of that because that just that smells fishy. It do. And she was apparently really famous. She was like an A-list actress over there. It wasn't like you know some little. Apparently she was like. Very successful, so it's a very weird. And people think it's weird that they're not investigating it more since she was such a big deal. I don't know. I don't know. But what? Uh, what's our theme for next week, Taylor? Um, what was it? Based on a true story, part two. Part two. I think was based on the true story. Our very first topic that we ever did. No, we did. Um. Lady we did killers. lady killers because yes on um, based on a true story i did the um what was it the it was a movie that black jack started where he had killed the old lady he was bernie taking care of. yep 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 yes yep yep uh so if you you know want to really throw it back i want it might be like episode like two or three yeah it's it's very og it is uh gonna sound weird but i would recommend it uh we obviously had a lot of time on our hands because i did a very i in my opinion i did a very long story i did mm-hmm. the gainesville ripper yeah. and talked about how that connects to scream and then how scream influenced other killers it's a whole thing but yeah go check that out but that's what we're gonna do next week because there are you know believe it or not a lot of movies that are based on real life murder cases this is true this is true or movies that, so, go ahead. well, I don't know if there's movies that inspired murders, obviously. That is a whole other thing. There is actually some, two murderers, they're like boys, who they claim they were inspired by Scream. But that's a whole thing. Me and Brandon were watching a documentary on it a while ago, but I don't remember their names. So I guess that yes. anecdote was useless. Well, thank you. Well, if, if you found that anecdote useless, you could just listen to our episode. Because I'm, if it's Did the same case it? I'm thinking about, it's the, I definitely talked about someone killing somebody because they blamed it on the movie screen. Yeah, it was probably that. And I just don't remember. Anyways, go listen to that episode either way. You'll find something good. My story was just weird. Very weird. Something you probably never heard about, it, so. Well, that's what this podcast is all about. It's going to sound weird, <laughs> so just go ahead and listen to it. But yeah, based on a true story next week, um, between now and then, go ahead, follow us on all of our shit, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You know, follow us on our personal TikToks as well. Taylor is really trying to <laughs> blow up in the TikTok world. Oh. Um, I was following, she got, um, you know, a, a sore on her upper lip the week before her bridal pictures were to be taken and i followed that story like it was a high speed chase 
Uh, yeah, honestly, it was my most successful TikTok uh, series. And oddly enough, my photographer doesn't follow me on TikTok, but I guess they have a TikTok. Uh, and he saw my TikToks before my shoot. And he was like, I saw your TikToks. They were real funny. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, might as well just die right here on this boat dock. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that would probably be for the best. Just go ahead and off yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Save you the money on the wedding. Yeah. But yeah. Just goodbye. Yeah, follow my personal but... TikTok. Maybe I'll, I'll post more content if I get more followers. But it's just kind of sad to be posting it out there for no one. You know what I'm saying? Just say Listen, I posted a TikTok and I got like a hundred likes on it, so big big things are happening. Uh, yeah. Well TikTok likes you more than me. Nah, that's probably true. But I couldn't explain why, but you know, I'm putting vibes out. We're going we're both gonna get TikTok famous. Okay. I'm waiting on it. I'm waiting on it too. But until that happens, have a good week. Stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.